0: Today we begin a new series, so a four-week series in the lead-up to Christmas, as we are prepared to celebrate the good news of Jesus' birth. So that's what Advent is all about. Advent simply means coming or arrival. And so we use these weeks uh, as a season of waiting and preparation, not only to celebrate the first arrival of Jesus, so the birth of Jesus, but also looking forward in great anticipation of Jesus's return. So that's where we begin today. So it'd be really helpful to have your Bibles open. So John chapter 1, that's where we'll be focusing today. And there's an outline on the back of the news as well. But as we come to God's Word and come to grow in the wonder of the incarnation of God becoming flesh, let's pray. Gracious God, we thank you so much for the good news of the Incarnation. We pray, please, in your kindness and by the power of your Spirit, would you help us to revel in the beauty, grow in our understanding, and be gripped by the implications that in Jesus the Word became flesh and made his dwelling place among us. We pray in Jesus' name. Amen. So many things can cause us to wonder. Looking up at a sky full of stars, uh, taking in a glorious view, exploring the intricacies of an ecosystem, nursing a newborn baby, gazing on a masterpiece in a gallery, or immersing ourselves in a, a glorious piece of music. So many things cause us to wonder. With wonder often catching us off guard. Some years ago now, before Patrice and I moved to Durham in the UK, we really had little idea of what to expect. We had been to London, read about Durham, studied maps, seen photos, but really, honestly, we had no clue of what Durham was really like. And as we made the train journey uh, from London north, passing through town after town all with varying degrees of aesthetic beauty, uh, I really wondered, what are we in for? As we came to the final approach to Durham, around the final bend, I got up out of my seat, I walked over to a window, stood there, waiting with nervous anticipation of what was going to be revealed. The view at that time, it was all obfuscated, it was all blocked by trees, until one final and sudden moment, we emerged from all of the wooded area, perched right up high on a bridge on a viaduct with the perfect vantage point of the town. It was spectacular. It took my breath away. I was completely stunned by its beauty and as I stood there in wonder, my head and my heart really had to catch up with what I was seeing. That's what wonder does. Wonder breaks in. It breaks in in response to something real, in response to something we're experiencing that that captures us by its beauty and it causes us to be amazed. Wonder interrupts us. Wonder catches us off guard. Wonder causes us to take a second look. Wonder, I guess, is wonderful, as it turns out. Yet, for an adult, if I think we're really honest, wonder is also kind of inconvenient. So we regularly filter it out. Now, you know this, because if you've ever gone on a walk with a child, a little child, and it doesn't have to be a walk in some sort of beautiful rainforest or an incredible gallery or something like that, but even a walk from the car park to the shops, it can be this experience littered by wonder for a little child. So, you know, look at this. This is amazing. How about this? What's this all about? And as an adult, it can drive you crazy. (laughs) We can say, yes, yes, that really is incredible. That really is wonderful. But I've, we've got things to do. So let's keep this show moving. Actually, it's kind of in our nature as we grow up, that we can resist that interruption. In so many ways, our last few Christmases have been incredibly interrupted. And so I think this year, more than ever, we can be really tempted, feel really tempted to get back on with the normal program, with the regular schedule of of people to see, places to go, gifts to purchase, things to eat. And that might be fine and well, might be great. But my great hope is that this year, actually our Christmases will be interrupted in a whole new way. That our Christmas will be interrupted by the wonder of the incarnation, of the good news in Jesus that God became human. Extraordinary news to be experienced, to cause us to wonder, to to come in, and to interrupt and to disrupt our, our commonly busy ways of preparing to celebrate Christmas and letting this historical event, this real event of the incarnation impinge and shape how we prepare this year, if you'll let it. Now, that might be a little inconvenient. It was pretty inconvenient for the shepherds it was really inconvenient for the Magi. Actually, my hope is that it's going to be really inconvenient for us too. That we would grow in our understanding of the Incarnation, that we would revel in the beauty of the Incarnation and be gripped by the implications of the Incarnation. So we're going to spend four weeks doing that, but today we begin in John chapter 1, and we're really zooming in on verse 14. So John chapter 1, verse 14, the word became flesh and made his dwelling among us. So nine phenomenal words. It's like every gift ever was packed into one small box. So that's where we get orientated. That's where we begin today. And as we do so, we witness three extraordinary truths that should stir us to wonder. The sun eternal, the sun become, became flesh, and the Son dwelling among us. The Son eternal, the Son became, and the Son dwelling. So first truth that stirs us to wonder, the Son eternal. Who became flesh? The Word. So let's have a look. Verse 1 of John chapter 1. In the beginning was the Word, and the Word was with God, and the Word was God. He was with God in the beginning. Through him, all things were made. Without him, nothing was made that has been made. Now, there's a lot going on here, so let's try and unpack it piece by piece. When John says the word, he's not referring to the Bible, as we might sometimes call it, God's word. He's also not referring merely to words that are spoken. But he's referring to the word as a person, a person of the Trinity. The word was with God. That is distinct from the Father, but also a person equal with the Father. The Word was God. The Word is equal but distinct. Who is this word? John tells us, for the Word became flesh. The Word is God's Son. This is John's emphatic way of saying this person, actually this baby whom we celebrate at Christmas, has a really big backstory. Whilst every other person who's ever lived has a beginning of conception and birth and also an end, not so with Jesus, not so with the Son, because Jesus is God in the beginning. So Jesus' origin story is not his birth. For Jesus has no beginning and no end. It's a bit like if you had a piece of string and if you kept pulling on it, winding it up to try and find its start or its end, you could actually keep going. You keep winding that string in either direction for all of eternity and you would never reach the end point. There was a definitive moment when the Word became flesh. However, there was never a time when the sun was not. And there was a, never a time when the sun will not be. And of course, when we hear those opening words in the beginning, it should cause our minds to immediately rush back to the very opening words of the Bible Genesis 1, verse 1 In the beginning, God created the heavens and earth. So now, John isn't just claiming that Jesus is the Word, who was there at the beginning, and he himself has no beginning, but that he is the very cause of it. Or as we read in Colossians, creation was made by him, for him, and it's held together in him. When we celebrate Christmas, reflecting back to that manger, this is no ordinary baby. Verse 3. Through him, all things were made. Without him, nothing was made that has been made. In him was life, and that life was the light of all mankind. The light shines in the darkness, and the darkness has not overcome it. So hear what John's saying. Jesus is the very source of life. And just as there was a beginning of the world, John is saying that with Jesus, God is beginning something new. The eternal light and life of God is bursting into the world. We experience, of course, the effects of of darkness, of of evil and brokenness in so many ways. Death itself is part of that darkness. But John is saying, God has done something new. God's light and life is bursting into the world and it cannot, it will not be extinguished. Who, Who else could possibly be qualified to do that except the very one who caused all things to come into being. When you look at Jesus, that's who you are looking at. That's the claim. You're not just looking at a baby. You're looking to the one who is there at the beginning, who is the very cause of the beginning, and is now doing something new. Not like a a shiny christmas gift that has, you know, a really limited shelf life, whatever that might be. But he brings the gift which knows no end. Jesus is the word. Jesus is God's eternal son. The second truth that should stir us to wonder is that the son became flesh. So verse 14. The word Became flesh. Sometimes when we hear that word flesh used in the New Testament, it's often a reference to fleshy ways, that is, sinful ways. But that's not how John is using the word flesh here in reference to Jesus. In fact, the word that John uses for flesh is about as blunt of a way that you can get to say that God's son really became a physical human being like you and me. Yes, he was still God but completely, utterly, totally human. Kelly Capick puts it like this. Strangely, without ceasing to be divine, the sun assumes a genuine human nature. He doesn't pick between the divine and human. Wrapped in finitude within the limits of the creaturely experience, the sun paradoxically comes as the divine embrace of creation. Whilst in our world and our culture, I think people can have more trouble accepting the idea that Jesus was God, in the ancient world, at John's time, some people had more trouble accepting that Jesus was really human. People, in fact, found it far easier to think that this was just God pretending to be human or putting on the appearance of being human, just sort of faking it, but not really human. They couldn't fathom why God would want to get messed up with humanity. In fact, many had a really negative view of the physical world. But John is saying, make no mistake, Jesus is fully God, but also fully human. He became really human in every way. We see the evidence for that all throughout the New Testament. Physically, Jesus was born, grew up, Spent decades in ordinariness, ate, drank, slept, wept, died. Emotionally, he experienced grief, joy, sorrow, even anger. Jesus wasn't masquerading. This isn't some sort of divine, elaborate trick or costume. This isn't God just doing a flyby of humanity, this isn't God just dipping his toe into our world, but this is God immersing himself, plunging himself into the depths of our humanity, into our experience, with all our frailty, with all our vulnerability, even death. There was no protective measures, Throughout COVID, especially in the very early stages of COVID, so many people in the medical community, when faced with really severe shortages of PPE, of masks and shields, well, so many served really heroically without protection. John is showing us that the sun became fully human with all its frailty, with no protection, not even protection from death actually, in order that he could and would die for us. The eternal one behind creation, in the greatest expression of humility, enters into the spheres of space and time, even unto death. And if that wasn't extraordinary enough, when John says that in Jesus the word, became flesh, we're meant to understand from the tense of the word that this wasn't a temporary measure, but that this was the word becoming permanently human. He's all in. There is no going back on the incarnation. The son remains human at the right hand of the father to this day. So this is God's big yes to our humanity. This is God's big yes to our physicality. Jesus became human to die for us. Jesus became human to redeem us. Yet in the words of Rebecca McLaughlin, not only to die for us, but also to share life with us. I think it's, such, it's mind-bending, it's such amazing news. It was essential for our salvation that God became human and will plunge the depths of that more in the coming weeks. But it also means that if Jesus is truly both human and God, that there is nothing that we cannot approach him with. Just think about it, because he's God. It means that he lives. He he knows us intimately. He knows all of us intimately. There's no limit to his capacity, so you can't overburden God. He doesn't get compassion fatigue. He doesn't get tired of listening he has no limits to his power he has no beginning nor end so go to him but because he's also human it means that he can identify with us in every single way he knows our struggles and our joys he's not distant nor aloof and actually he's interceding for us this very day don't pick and choose between jesus humanity and his divinity. We must not do that. Delight in who Jesus is. He's fully human, fully God, and we hold that beautifully and wonderfully together. The word became flesh. Final truth that stirs us to wonder is the Son dwelling among us. So let's go back to verse 14. The word became flesh and made his dwelling among us we have seen his glory, the glory of the one and only Son who came from the Father, full of grace and truth. The word dwelling here means actually to pitch a tent. Uh, When we hear that, we can kind of think, oh, this sounds very temporary or it seems really fleeting. On Friday night, the Friday night that just passed, Theodore, who's my eight-year-old son and I, we camped out on the school oval for the year two camp we uh, set the, the tent up on the Friday afternoon, we slept in it overnight, and then we packed it up the very next day. So this is about as temporary as you can get. But when John says, the word became flesh and made his dwelling among us, pitched his tent among us, it does not carry a connotation of being temporary. Like God couldn't wait to get out of here and to get away from us. But more that God is settling down with his people. That's what it actually means. This is tabernacle language. So the tabernacle, later the temple was the place in which God was present with his people. The tabernacle, later the temple was the place where people went to meet with God. So it's the place where his glory, God's glory, was made known among them. He's tabernacling with them. But the extraordinary news that we're being pointed to here is that it's because of God becoming flesh that the way that we can now meet with God is not in a place, but in the person of Jesus. It's not the idea of Jesus, but in the person of Jesus. Jesus is not an idea to be grasped, but a person to be known. Jesus, who is alive, he reigns forever revealing God's truth and grace. He's full of God's truth and grace. So that means that when you meet with Jesus, when you go to Jesus, that's what you get. You get truth and grace. When Patrice and I did move to Durham all those years ago, one of the great joys of that year was to make two really wonderful friends who had also just recently moved to Durham, but they had moved there from Hong Kong and Taiwan, And when we met them, it wasn't long before they were expecting the first child. And actually, it was their first children because they were expecting twins. When the twins did arrive, they gave them the most beautiful names. They named them Weili and In, which means to know truth and to know grace. They named them from John chapter 1, Verse 14, they gave their children those names, meaning to know truth and to know grace, because their greatest desire for their children was to know truth and grace. Their greatest desire for their children was them to know Jesus. People look in all sorts of places and attempt all sorts of things in order to try and meet with God. But the wonderful news is that we can revel in is that God has come to us. God has done everything in order that we might meet with him. When John says, we have seen God's glory, the glory of the one and only son, he likely in mind has the glory of Jesus' death and resurrection. That theme runs all the way through, through John. Jesus' death and resurrection that open a way for us, actually for, for everyone to meet with God, not just for a moment, not just in some sort of limited way, but to meet with God, to be known by God forever. That for, verse 12, all who receive him, all who believed in his name, he gave them the right to become children of God. Children of God who the son eternal has paved a way for eternal life who the Son who became flesh has redeemed our all, who the Son dwelling among us invites us to meet with him, being joined to him forever. I think it's it's so astonishing that God would do this. I, I once knew an executive who thought they were really super important, so they refused to fly anywhere unless it was first class. But here is God, the eternal Son, who brought everything into being, stepping down into our mess and embodying our all, even unto death. Yet actually, astonishingly, the other shock is that some would not, or perhaps even refused, to recognise him. So if we just go back to verse 10. He was in the world, that is Jesus, and though the world was made through him, The world did not recognise him. He came to that which was his own, but his own did not receive him. Some didn't recognise him. They missed it. Perhaps they were even blind to it. One of my most favourite anecdotes that emerged about the Queen not long after she died was about a pair of American tourists who, whilst on a walking holiday in Scotland, stumbled upon the Queen and her security person out on a walk. Uh, not recognizing the Queen, they asked her, "Oh, where do you live?" And she said, "Oh, I live in uh, London, but I have a holiday house up up here, <laughs> it's just on the other side of the hills." And I said, "Well, how long have you been coming up here on holidays?" And she said, well, actually, since I was a little girl, so I guess that makes it for just a little bit over 80 years. As they heard this and processed this, they thought, wow. They remarked, well, if you've been coming up here for all these years, then you must have met the Queen. And she said, well, actually, I haven't met the Queen, but Richard here, her security person, she said he meets with her regularly the tourists thinking that they were in the company of greatness, Uh, the man immediately put his arm around the security person, handed his camera to the Queen, (laughs) and asked her to take a picture of them together. (laughs) Do you know how wonderful Jesus is? It would be easy, so easy, year in, year out, one Christmas after the other, to ignore, perhaps even filter out, to not recognise how extraordinary Jesus is. There might be all sorts of distractions why that is the case we might have all sorts of filters that prevent us from even taking a look, prevent us from growing in the wonder, or preventing us from letting this truth and grace really take a grip on our lives. But here's a Christmas invitation. Would you take a deeper look at Jesus This year, would you let the wonder of who Jesus truly is interrupt your life? The Word became flesh and made his dwelling among us. Let's pray. Gracious God, how we thank you so much for this astonishing news that the word became flesh and made his dwelling among us. Lord, we pray, please, that in the power of your spirit, you might be really at work in our hearts and our minds, particularly this year, this Advent, as we prepare to celebrate Christmas, that we might be growing in and delighting and reveling in the beauty of this phenomenal news grounded in the event of you breaking into our world. We pray that you would help us to throw off anything that would distract us or or filters that may have caused us in the past to push aside even investigating who Jesus is or filters that would prevent us from digging deeper and delighting in who Jesus is. So Lord, we pray that you would truly help us this year, that we really would respond, that we would let the wonder of Jesus interrupt and take a grip on our lives and so we pray in jesus name amen